Would you remain standing in honor of God's word? We want to welcome everybody that's here for the first time. Um, we want to welcome all of our locations that are tuning in, our television audience, and everybody who's tuning in online. We know God has an amazing word for you today. Second Timothy chapter number three, beginning in verse one, the Bible says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power from such people turn away. Today from our text, I want to talk to you from the subject Floating ethics, enlightened thought, and profanity. Floating ethics, enlightened thought, and profanity. Three characteristics that are prominent in today's world. I could have called them the satanic immorality trinity, but instead I'm sticking with floating ethics, enlightened thought, and profanity because I believe there's a little bit more curiosity in that. What does the Bible have to say about these three characteristics as it relates to following Jesus in the end time culture. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you speak to us by your grace and by your power, by the anointing of the Holy Spirit to every single heart in a unique and profound way, those that are here at all of our locations and those that are tuning in. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, you may be seated. As we have been saying the last few weeks, it is becoming more and more difficult to follow Jesus in today's world. Gone are the days of the popular saying, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Now the mere mention of his name draws emotions from raised eyebrows to dismissal to vitriol. The stark difference between those that hold biblical worldviews and secular worldviews are clearer than ever before The moral majority does not seem to be the moral majority anymore as morality in terms of right and wrong and the standards of acceptable behavior have been redefined, renamed, and rebranded for mass appeal. Society and culture has devolved to the lowest forms of deviant behavior to such a place where what is normal is now considered to be strange. And this intentional push to establish a new normal that reformats and resets society's consciousness is so intense that even many believers are being deceived. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Holy Spirit paints a picture of the characteristics of end time culture in order not to scare us, but to prepare us so that we can shine bright and bring as many people to Christ as this world comes to an end as is possible. And so as we come to the text, we have already looked at the first two of the end time characteristics of a devolved culture. And you'll see them in the list there, lovers of money and lovers of themselves. Look at it again with me, Second Timothy chapter 3, verse number 1. But know this, that in the last days, perilous or emotionally difficult and evil times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money. This is not talking, just a little review of a, a, of a healthy love for yourself, a love that understands that you are a creation of Almighty God, a masterpiece made in His image and made in His likeness. It's not talking about that kind of self-love, but it's talking about a self-love that puts self above everything else. And when it says lovers of money, it's not talking about being blessed. It's not talking about having a lot of good things in your life. But it's talking about doing whatever it takes, whether it takes lying, stealing, cheating, cutting corners to acquire things. And the Holy Spirit is reminding us that all that is holy, good and right, will be sacrificed in the end times on the altar of self. And can I say something? We're there right now. We're, we're in that culture right now. We don't need to wait any longer. Self is now the foundation of our culture. And if you'd like more on that subject, go to the past week's prior sermons and just download them and you can listen and get caught up. But today we begin with the next three characteristics of the end time culture. Again, notice in Second Timothy chapter 3 verse number 2, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, and then it says boasters, proud, and blasphemers. And we will see that these three 
are setting the stage for the end time satanic deception where the Antichrist, and if this is above what some of you have ever heard before, tune in because we're going to learn about this stuff, where the Antichrist will come and rule on the earth before Jesus comes back the second time and sets up his millennial kingdom. Now it should be no surprise to us as believers that self is the foundation upon which Satan tries to build in order to deceive and to destroy mankind. You might recall that self or the promotion of self was the reason why Satan was kicked out of heaven. Do you remember it? Isaiah chapter 14, verse number 12. It says, how are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations? You have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high God. Yet you shall be brought down to Shoal to the lowest parts of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, Is this the man who made the earth trembled? Who shook kingdoms? Who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities? Who did not open the house of his prisoners? Notice what is going to happen. Satan got kicked out of heaven because of the uh, aggrandizing of self, right? Self is the foundation upon which he brings destruction to any society. Any society built on self as the center is on shaky ground. But in the end of time, we see that struck self leads to destruction. Because during the millennial kingdom, when Satan is bound for a thousand years, you'll actually be able to go over and check him out. And everybody will look and go, that's it? That, that's he who we gave all these props to? That's he who we were fearful? That's he who deceived the world? That, that's it right there? Because his greatest strength is the mind games in which he plays, right? And so Satan's foundation is self, has always been self, and being, uh, building a, a society on self leads to shame. Is this he who deceived the nations? But building a life on Jesus Christ leads to success, right? Jesus said in Matthew 20, verse 26, yet shall it not be so among you. In other words, that you'll want to be uh, first in everything, that you'll want to put you before everything else. Yet shall it not be so among you, but whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. In other words, it's just, it's paradoxical what, what Jesus says and what the enemy tries to do. The enemy tries to build up self. Jesus said, be servant of all, and servant leads to greatness, not self leading to greatness. Building on self leads to shame, but building on the Savior leads to success. And so after Satan sets the foundation of self for end time society, now he comes in, now he moves during the end time to the satanic immorality trinity men will be and he starts off boasters what does that mean the word boasters literally in the greek it describes a braggart or somebody who is so into self-promotion and personal agenda that they are willing to exaggerate overstate the facts stretch the truth embellish a story or even lie if it will have a positive effect on their position or situation we call this type of exaggeration or twisting of the truth situational ethics or the hurling away of fixed ethics and moral absolutes and embracing floating ethics that are easily adaptable to whatever one deems necessary. And the greatest example I can think of is politicians, not all politicians, but a lot of them who change their ethics and policies for whatever the public wants to hear so that they can get elected. It's called catering to their base. It's a person with the mindset to do whatever needs to be done to further their agenda, even if it clashes with conscience, conviction, or with truth situational ethics it's not wrong all the time it's not right all the time it depends on the circumstances and if it advances my agenda and my cause I flip it I flip it so it suits me I flip it depending upon the audience in which we are, in which I'm in just this week I was amongst people who didn't have a biblical view worldview and they started asking me questions. I didn't flip my position. Why? Because that's situational ethics. 
Instead, I asked God to give me wisdom in order to communicate to them so it would resonate with their heart and change their mind. And sure enough, it did. They said, you know what? I never thought of it like that. You're right. You're right about that. You're right about that. And I'm in the inside saying, I know I'm right because God is right. Not because I'm right, because God is right, right? Situational ethics are nothing new. They existed in Jesus' day. You remember the story of the Good Samaritan, don't you, in the Bible? Well, how did that story come into being? Well, a lawyer came up to Jesus, right? And he asked Jesus a question that seems like a good question. What must I do to inherit eternal life, right? You know? And it seems like he has pure motives, but he doesn't have pure motives. He's saying this to, to trick Jesus because he doesn't like that Jesus is hanging out with these sinners. Because even though Jesus didn't approve of the behavior of sinners, he loves sinners. Amen. There's a difference between accepting somebody and approving of what they do. And the world has got that all twisted up right now. And so Jesus would hang out with sinners. And this Pharisee, this lawyer, this expert in the law, he didn't like that Jesus was treating people who were far from God with a certain kind of love that was captivating. And so he says to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus knows what he's up to, right? And Jesus said, well, well, what does the law say? What's your reading of it? In other words, uh, I know you're trying to trap me. So I'm going to let you trap yourself. And the man says this, Luke chapter 10, verse 27. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says to him, you've answered rightly. Do this, and you'll live. Now, Jesus knew this man wasn't doing this. And the reason why he wasn't doing this is because of the Jewish belief of who your neighbor was. I'll get to that in a second. So Jesus says to him, when he says, do, or the man says to Jesus, when he says, do this and you'll live, verse number 28, but he wanting to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In other words, he is saying, you know what? My neighbor isn't everyone you think, Jesus. I've got some situational ethics right here when it comes to who I should be kind to and who I shouldn't be kind to. See, the Jewish, I call this guy Mr. Rogers, by the way, the who is my neighbor guy, right? Mr. Rogers guy. And, and, and see, Jews believed that your neighbor was only other Jews. And so if they weren't a Jew, you didn't have to be kind to them. You didn't have to like them. You didn't have to treat them nicely. You didn't have to do anything. And they actually had Sabbath rules for on the Sabbath day that went kind of something like this. If, if, a, if a stone wall happened to fall on somebody and they were trapped underneath a stone wall, just if that happened to happen, right? You know, you're walking by, stone wall falls on you, right? Just if that happens to happen. Enough of the wall can be removed to see if the person is a Jew or a Gentile. If they're a Jew, you could remove the rest of the wall and save them. If they're a Gentile, just leave them there to die. So they had situational ethics that they spun depending upon the circumstances in which they were in so that they could advance their own agenda and their own causes. And so today it's just more prominent than it was back then. Today what's happening is everything revolves around situational ethics. What's my point? This lawyer was a boaster. He was somebody who believed in twisting or changing the truth, floating the ethics that suited him to advance what he believed and what his own agenda was. And the Holy Spirit is telling us that as the end time society evolves and the culture evolves or devolves, there will be a prominent rise in floating ethics and relative truth to suit certain agendas, but these floating ethics that suit unwittingly so many people actually suit Satan's agenda for the end of for the end of time. What is Satan's agenda for the end of time? Go over with me to Second Thessalonians chapter number two. Second Thessalonians chapter number two. Listen to what the Bible says beginning in verse number three. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way and then the lawless one will be revealed. Now I want you to notice a couple of things. It says in that day. What day was that? This was the great tribulation period that they were concerned about. If you read the book of First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians, the Thessalonians thought that they were in the tribulation period. 
because a revered teacher, somebody who was a deceptive teacher, told them that they were in it. And so they were freaking out because they knew that you don't want to live on the earth during the time of the wrath of God. We don't realize how good we have it right now that we live underneath the age of grace. We don't realize what a privilege it is to live underneath the age of grace. Trust me when I tell you, you don't want to be here when God's wrath is poured out on the earth. And so they were shaken in their boots. They got so fearful. They reached out to the apostle Paul. They said, we need to know, are we in that day? And he says, relax, relax. You're not there yet. That day will not come, he says, unless there are a couple of things that happen first. He says, number one, a falling away. Number two, the restrainer is removed. And number three, the man of sin is revealed. What is the falling away? The falling away is literally a phrase that, re, that, that means to revolt against anything that is godly. It literally is a revolt against any standards of godliness. Can we all agree we're there? We are now in the place where there is a revolt against anything that is holy, anything that is godly, anything that is right, anything that is wrong is now twisted to become right, a falling away first. And then it says this, it says, the man of sin will be revealed. Well, in the Greek, the phrase man of sin is a word that is called, it's, it's a compound word, a and nomos. Nomos, or comes from the word anomia, or nomos, and it's the canceling of everything that is legally or morally correct. Anomia, nomos, everything that is legally or morally correct. Anomos, or nomia, is the canceling effect of everything that is legally or morally correct. And so what this is telling us is that the Antichrist is the one who will be able to rule when there are no standards of morality on the earth. And so all of this fixed situational ethics, no right and wrong, it is a state setup. It is priming society so that the man of lawlessness, the man of sin, the Antichrist could come and he can rule and reign. He'll be a political figure. He'll be a world leader that everybody will gravitate toward because he will begin to speak the language of the culture. Ah, don't worry about that. Inclusion is great for everybody. And inclusion is now talk, not for just treating people with respect or treating people with honor and giving everybody the same kind of rights. That's not what inclusion means anymore. It means approval of behavior, right? And so it's code. And all of this is now being set. The stage is being set so that this political figure can come and rule on the scene because he needs lawlessness in order to rule. And notice the text says, the man of sin will be revealed. And this word revealed literally means to uncover. And so to uncover means something's been there the whole time. You just couldn't see it. And nowadays, by the way, it's not even hiding anymore. It's just right out in the open now. There, there's no there's no more subtlety about it. I go to New York City every single week, and I go right into Times Square every single week. And on my journey from the parking lot where I park to the church where I go and preach at in the evening time, there is a truck right on the corner there. It's called Weed World. It's a big camper truck. And just stop there, just on your way, just get all the weed you want. Right on the street there, and just smoke it right down the street, right in front of the cops, no big deal. It's just right there. Not even, not even hiding anymore. Boop, there it is. Right? And this is, it will be revealed. It will be uncovered. Matter of fact, in verse number seven of our text here in Second Thessalonians 2, it even goes on. It says, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. And the mystery literally describes something that has been in the plot or in the plan for a long, long time. In other words, all these little moves, right, that, that were happening 20 years ago that people were going, that's crazy, that's crazy, that's crazy. Those were little moves so that bigger moves could be made so that the ultimate move could be made and that we could live in a society without any standards of morality altogether. But even though we see this happening all around us, this scripture tells us it's currently being restrained. It, the full Impact of it coming to pass is being withheld. Notice what it says, 2 Thessalonians 2, 7, part B, only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Well, who is the restrainer? It's us. The blood bought. The church. 
the redeemed. We are the restrainers. We are the voice of truth in a world that has gone crazy. We are the ones who are supposed to be a light in this darkness. We are the ones who are supposed to speak with grace and truth. We are the standard bearers. We are the ones that are withholding judgment. We are the hands, the feet, and the voice of Jesus crying out to those who are far from God. We cannot shrink back. We have to stand up. We have to preach the gospel, not less but harder and harder in these end in these end times. And when the restrainer is removed, what's that? That's the rapture of the church. When the restrainer is removed, when we are snatched up out of here, then, then, we will be in the time of the great tribulation period. When the Antichrist will rule, and ultimately God's wrath will be poured out upon the earth. The point is that boasters or situational ethics will abound in the end time culture. And this is not good or progressive, but rather it is a setup for Satan to deceive and destroy many. If you are skeptical about the rise of floating ethics, ask any youth or young adult what's being taught in their schools or in their universities right now. It's rampant all over the place. I don't want to bore you with the details, but every single day I go on social media and I see a new thing. This week it was a principal holding up a a book that said, Jack, not Jackie. And it was all about a person transitioning. And it was being taught to kindergartners. This is the society that we are now living in because it is setting the stage. Situational ethics for the man of lawlessness to come back. They they are only, these schools and universities are only places of tolerance for people who, who don't have faith. As soon as you have faith, as soon as you are a believer in Jesus, it's no longer a place of free discussion and tolerance. Now it's a place of, you know, you're just, you're just outdated. You're just antiquated. You're just, you're just unkind. You're just unloving. And that's what is now being promoted. And this should motivate us, church. This should motivate us to, to want to share the gospel with as many people as we possibly can. This should motivate us to be to be sharing with our friends and with our family about the love of Christ, about what Jesus did on the cross. It should motivate us. And so the end times is a time where boasters will be prolific. But then notice the next thing it says, proud. Second Timothy chapter three, verses one uh, and, and two again. Here's what it says. It says, but know this, that in the last days, Perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, and proud. And the word proud is the Greek word hupophanos, hooper and phanos. Hooper means something that is superior or above, and phanos means to manifest itself. And when you put these things together, you get someone who has an air of being superior intellectually to everybody else. That's what it literally means to be uh, someone who is proud. It is somebody who is arrogant, haughty, snooty, high and mighty. Literally people who believe that they are so, uh, so intellectually superior that they are the ones that are enlightened to new thought and the others just aren't progressive enough to see. That's literally what it means. So literally this word proud means those who believe they have enlightened thought. Come on, is this not a perfect description of the society in which we are living in right now. We not only have situational ethics, but we have the rise of enlightened thought. And and, and currently in our culture, you see this with judges, politicians, and the media. Not all of them, again, I don't want to blanket everybody, but a lot of them. Pushing their intellectual enlightenment on the rest of society who haven't quite evolved yet to their level of understanding. And they heartily mock, sneer, and disparage people whose biblical convictions in their minds are relics of the past. And the goal is to set a new moral agenda. Listen to what the Bible says about these kind of peoples. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse number 21. It says, because although they knew God, and this doesn't mean we're believers, but it means they had a knowledge of God. Society at not so long ago had a general knowledge of God. We were acquainted with the things of God, right? We even had prayer in our schools. We had the Ten Commandments on the wall. We, we generally knew right and wrong. There was a general agreement on a lot of those things. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. In other words, they didn't connect 
that these are the standards of God with God, um, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. Watch this. And their foolish heart was darkened, professing to be wise, they became fools. Professing to be wise. Constantly asserting they knew best. Constantly asserting how antiquated and unjust biblical values truly are. Constantly asserting that inclusiveness, which is code for approval of immoral behavior, is mutually beneficial to all. They became fools. The Greek word literally which means coming to conclusions that actually violate scientific evidence. Like biology. Like biology. Actually had a discussion with my doctor this week. I went for my physical. I love my dog. He's a great guy. Nice guy. And uh, he was talking to me about certain things and blah, 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 blah. And he was talking to me about things that uh, I don't know that I necessarily agree with. And uh, it, we got on different topics of morality and society. And I asked him straight up. I said, Doc, you're a doctor. I said, do you know the difference between a man and a woman? I said, you got that figured out? I said, you haven't flip-flopped on that yet, right? Because if you have, I just want you to know I can't be coming here no more. I'll visit with you. I have coffee with you. But if you don't know the difference, then I, I can't, I can't rely on your expertness because you have come to conclusions now that are not based in scientific fact like biology. And so notice what this says. It says they will be becoming wise, professing to be intellectually superior, right, to everybody else. They will become fools. They will base their decisions on stuff that is so preposterous, it is actually funny. And their foolish hearts will become darkened. Or in other words, the word hearts is cardia. It literally refers to the, 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 the muscle of the heart. But when you say hearts, it refers to the actual heart of society. The heart of society will become darkened. The heart of society will become immoral and depraved. The Holy Spirit is telling us that one of the characteristics of the last day culture is people will be proud or foolishness masked in intellectual enlightenment marked with darkened hearts. That's what the scripture is telling us. Is this any surprise to us? That pride, being proud in this way, is one of the characteristics of end time society? No, because why? Isaiah chapter 14, we read it before, verse number 13, listen what the devil did. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation, on the furthest, farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will be like the most high God. Why did he get kicked out of heaven? Pride. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18 says, pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. And this is not talking about people who are proud of like a good job that they did. You know, we, 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 we so low level pride. We think pride is somebody who's confident. That's not what, what real pride is. Pride is, a, is, a, is an arrogance that usurps the authorities and principles of God and stares and down at everybody else like they don't know what they're talking about. And the Bible says this will be a characteristic of end time society. Enlightened thought. Enlightened reasoning. And number five. Last one. People will become blasphemers. Second Timothy chapter three, verse number two. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers. This speaks of slander, accusations, disgust, and derogatory words spoken with the intent of hurting or harming another person's reputation. It includes foul language, and blasphemous behavior or behavior that openly thumbs its nose at righteousness and proudly parades unrighteousness for all to see as if there were nothing wrong with it. Am I, am I describing society right now to the T? Anybody who doesn't understand how dead on the Bible is just doesn't understand what it's saying, right? This is the society in which we are living. And, and so the scripture tells us these things. And if you've listened to the news lately, you see this. It's no longer about reporting what is or has happened. It's now about tearing the other side down to damage them and destroy their reputation in order to stir up people against their opponents so that the side that they agree with, whoever they is, right, remains in power. Have you listened to TV now? What used to be bleeped out on television is now just spoken right out there. 
And if you do have a bleeper, by the way, you can get a bleeper on your TV. You know that, right? You get something that you connect to your TV where every time there's a curse word, it'll just bleep it out. But now if you turn on your bleeper, you can't understand nothing that anybody's saying. Because every sentence is like bleep, 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 bleep. This is what has happened in society, right? And, and, and so if, you, if we're honest, politicians who are supposed to represent decorum openly use foul language on both sides, by the way. Don't, don't get it twisted. Because I know some people get it twisted with this kind of stuff. But they're just, on both, I, I heard people on both sides dropping some big ones, right? From congressmen all the way up to presidents. Right? That's a sign of the end of the, the tone of the times is a sharp descent from respectful disagreement to an ugly mess of intolerance and mudslinging. And the parades, the TV shows, the movies and the sitcoms that now celebrate sin as normal is off the charts. This kind of behavior and language is now mainstream. Here's an inter- interesting scientific tidbit. People with Alzheimer's, right? Alzheimer's, I always have problems saying that, but you know what I mean. Basically, and degenerative dementia. That's when the mind is in a state of degeneration. Despite the loss of many language and skills, they still often maintain their ability to swear. Have you ever, anybody ever dealt with this? We, We had it in our house, right? Forget about, they forget like who they are, who their spouse is, but they remember curse words. Why? Because foul language is a sign of a degenerate mind. Look at how quiet it got up in here. And it's been linked, foul language, to actually base behaviors. People that commit base behaviors or immoral behaviors, usually there is a foul mouth on them. And so we need to understand the stuff. Well, listen to what Jesus said, Luke chapter 6, verse 45. He said, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's it telling us? There's a heart-mind, a heart-mouth connection. That if we're spewing out all sorts of things, and you're talking to somebody who used to curse like a sailor. Before I was saved, the F word was my best adjective. But once I got saved, come on somebody. Once you get saved, there ought to be a change in your life. I'm not saying necessarily instantaneous change because sometimes I understand it takes the retraining of yourself in order to get to a particular place. I remember I used to hit my hand with a hammer and it just curse. And I retrained myself so I would hit my hand with a hammer and I'd say, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. And every time I get around friends, right? And because I have a lot of friends that still have foul mouths. And when they start dropping F-bombs like crazy, I stop dropping Jesus like crazy. And they look like I'm crazy. Why say Jesus so much? I say, why you curse so much? <laughs> See, we, we have allowed, we have allowed all of these things to infiltrate. There is a heart-mouth connection. Listen to how my dear friend Rick Renner, who I got a lot of this stuff, by the way, from his book, Last Day Survival Guide. Listen to how he's an expert in the Greek, how he translates 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 2. He says, men will be self-focused, self-centered, self-absorbed, self-consumed, in love with themselves more than anyone else. As a result of this self-love, they will be driven to obtain more and more and more. These boasters are so committed to their own agenda that they are willing to exaggerate, overstate the facts, stretch the truth, embellish a story, or even lie if it will get them a position or advantage or goal that they desire. They are arrogant, haughty, impudent, snooty, and insolent. They disdain, mock, slander, and speak ill of anyone who stands in the way of their ideology and they freely use foul language. Bingo! You know the little meme with the arrow hitting the target? Boop! There we go. Right there. Last day's society. So here's my question. What are the survival and revival steps that you and I need to take so that we stand strong in this last day society? Number one, stick with the Bible instead of floating ethics. Stick with the Bible. Instead of floating ethics and no moral absolutes, ask yourself, what does the Bible say? 
The Bible is God's standard and God's wisdom. It's God's guide for our lives that leads us to an abundant and eternal life. It is the book that is a lamp onto our feet and a light onto our path. It leads us in the paths of righteousness. It, 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 and it alone defines what is right and wrong. Even though society may reject it, God stands behind it. He watches over his word, waiting to perform it in our lives. His word is your fortress in a sea of immorality. It is your anchor in a culture that has gone crazy. It will protect your mind and guard your heart. It is packed with God's power to keep you, grow you, and guide you. It is your mighty weapon in the battle for our minds and hearts. It keeps your heart clean and your mind alert. The world may hate it, but the devil can't stop it. Matter of fact, he's powerless against it when you take your stand on it. Don't use it to beat people, but use it to free people. Instead of holding the Bible up and beating the culture with it, hold it up in your personal life and let the culture see it operating in your life. If it lines up, accept it. If it doesn't line up, reject it. Stick with the Bible like the old song we used to say, the B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. We have a church that is afraid to take a stand on the Bible. Not just this church, I'm talking about God's church. We're afraid. It's because we don't know how to articulate our positions. Because we, 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 we articulate by beating people. The conversation I had with all these people, there wasn't one amount of vitriol or mud slinging. I listened to them. I let them express their thought. And I said things like, well, I can understand why you feel that way. But let me explain my perspective to you. Let me explain why, why I think that that's not on point. And, and I, I'm careful to, not, to u- not use words that immediately are attacking. When somebody shares something, go, oh, that's so wrong. You shut them down right away. So you, 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 you have a conversation. Well, I understand why you believe that point of view. Can I share my point of view with, with you on the subject? And before you know it, reason begins to get in because the word of God has the DNA of God in. It's powerful. It arrests the heart. It causes pause to take place in people. And that's why we have to be willing to enter into these kind of conversations. Number two, second step for not just survival, but revival in end times. Be careful what you allow through your ears and your eyes. Romans ten seventeen says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Turn off the news and tune into the good news. I'm not saying be ignorant of what's happening in our world, but please don't, don't lock your brain into that kind of stuff. If you lock your brain into that kind of stuff, your brain will get poisoned. Turn it off. Tune into the good news. Don't pass off what is common now as harmless. You know, we see certain things. We go, ah, no, ah, it's just the way the world is. Don't pass it off. It's the conditioning of your mind that's happening right. Don't watch it, listen to it, or tolerate it. If it's in contradiction to God's word, it is not harmless. It will affect your soul. Remember Lot? Abraham's nep- nephew? He was affected by seeing and hearing the blasphemous activities in Sodom. Second Peter chapter 2, verse number 6. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, he condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that afterward should live ungodly. And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, For that righteous man dwelling among them, watch this, in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. At first, here's what it's saying. At first, Lot was bothered by it. But as he he lived among them and didn't remove himself from it, and he kept hearing and seeing it, guess what it eventually began to affect his righteous soul. You are tormenting your spirit when you subject your spirit continually to unrighteousness and ungodly behavior. Don't just think that it's innocent. Get out of there. Stop looking at it. Stop watching it. Stop letting it in your house. Stop letting it into the hearts of your children. Sadly and always, but sadly nowadays, you have to be a guardian more than ever of what is being allowed into your children's minds and hearts. Protect your kids. 
Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. For the Father up above is looking down with love. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Number three, be willing to pay whatever the price is for sticking with the truth of God's word. Now, here's where most Christians jump ship. Because you know how Christians are, right? Christians want everything without cost. Christians want everything without price. They want all God's blessings, but no time in prayer. Hello? Christians want, you know, to, to get, get rich, God to prosper them, but they don't want to tithe. They want good marriages without honoring one another and submitting to one another. Christians, I believe, believe in magic. Not the Bible. Because listen to me, even though we are under grace, every one of God's promises is conditional. Every single one of them. Remember what I taught you last week. Jesus is the payment. Faith is the processor. Right? It's all paid for by Christ. You don't, you, you don't earn it because of your works, but you receive it. You withdraw on what's been paid for by faith. Be willing to pay whatever the price is for sticking with God's word. And how many of you know there is often a price for sticking with truth? You may not be liked by everybody. You may be considered and called narrow-minded. You may not fit in with certain corporate structures. You may lose some friends and make some enemies. And if you're like me, a pastor, you may even lose some congregants. I've lost congregants. As I begin to talk about this kind of stuff. Because people are more concerned with what agrees with their political agenda than they are with what agrees with the Bible. And I've lost people on both sides because I want you to know that the Bible cuts both ways. Right? We don't take sides with anyone or anything. We take sides with the Bible. And I'm sorry, I couldn't give a, you know what? If somebody expects me to compromise the truth of God, God's word just to make them comfortable in church. Not going to happen. Not giving up my soul for nobody. Going to preach this word the best way that I know how to preach this word and hopefully help disciple people along the way. Be willing to pay whatever the price is. And like the old song says, though none go with me, I will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back, no turning back. We love people and we want to be at peace with all people. But at the end of the day, sometimes there is a price. To be paid for truth. And it may mean that you may not have everybody on your team that you once had on your team. You're not intentionally trying to distance people or be mean spirited to people. But you are willing to take a stand for Christ no matter what the cost. And the last thing I want to give you as Pastor Ronald comes and the worship team comes. Don't give in to fear. But go and preach with power. Do not give in to fear. But go and preach with power. Matthew 28, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. What is that saying? Don't give in to fear. You have power. You have power to protect you, power to cause you to stand, power to preach, power to heal the sick, power to set people free, power to preach the gospel, power to be a light, power to be a soul winner, power to be the hands and feet of Jesus and the mouth of Jesus. Go into all the world and make disciples. Your friends are your world. Your family is your world. Your coworkers are your world. The people that you meet are your world. The people in your path are your world. Go and preach with power. You church, you church are the carriers of the hope of this world. Jesus Christ, don't cower in fear. Go in power, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what the scripture says. How then can they call on the one whom they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one in whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach Unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. What's he saying? Do you care enough about the people in your life?
to tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. Go in power, but don't cower. You are God's anointed. You are God's appointed. You are Christ's ambassadors. You are the only Jesus some will ever see. Diamond Church will change. And we will flip from our relationship with God to receive all good things, to thank God for all good things. But I got to go and I got to let people know. I've got to be that bright light against this dark culture. Listen, with the utmost of all compassion, understanding that every person that you talk to is precious in the eyes of God. When we go and we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, we don't go to to get people, to punish them, to discipline them. We go to set them free. We lead with love. We lead with grace. And we ask God to guide us with wisdom to speak truth. We lead with Jesus. Don't worry about always cleaning people up day one. It's the job of the Holy Spirit, right? People receive Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes and lives on the inside of them. They have then the power to change. Without the Holy Spirit, it's hard to change. How many of you know with the Holy Spirit sometimes? Come on, somebody. It's hard to change. People are precious in the eyes of God. We need a church change. The church needs a paradigm shift. This is not about a good message. It's not about a spiritual goosebump. It's about eternity. It's about God entrusting us to be lights to a lost world. In September, when I come back from vacation, 
We're going to have a whole month starting, I think it's the second or third week in September, the Back to Church weekend, where our focus is going to be to bring as many people to Christ as we possibly can. And we're going to empower you through all sorts of things that are happening throughout that month. And there'll be things that are just fun things happening in that church around everything that normally happens at church. Contests for the kids and, you know, giveaways and stuff like that. So that you can use them to invite people who are far from Christ to church. And then let God take the word of God and minister to their heart. And so I really want you to be praying now, 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 now. God, who am I inviting? Who am I reaching out to? Who's coming to church with me? And it's not to grow the church. Well, there's nothing wrong with growing the church, right? Going to the highways and byways, the Bible says, and compel them to come that my house may be full. But it's not about that. It's about populating heaven. It's about rescuing people from the cultural stuff that is happening right now so that they can be set free. That's why God has given me a passion. You can stand to your feet, by the way. That's why God has given me a passion, a renewed passion, that now more than ever, we have to take our television ministry to the ends of the earth. We have to saturate the area. I'm believing God to go on right here, local channels, so that when people are turning on the channels right here locally, big local channels, by the way, not the small ones, the big ones, the ones that cost an arm and a leg to get on. But here's, I'm not going to let that deter me, and here's why. Because I believe that they need to hear a voice in the middle of all that mess that's saying, this is the way, walk in it. This is the way, walk in it. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today, and you're not right with Almighty God, today God brought you here so that you can be made right with Him. If you don't know where you would spend eternity, if you don't know what would happen to you, this moment if you left this earth today Jesus wants to save your soul that's why I came to the earth to set you free not to punish you but to set you free and if you're here today and say pastor I don't know where I stand with God but today I want to give my life to Jesus and I want to be made right with him with no one looking around right where you are just put your hand up so I can pray for you pastor today I'm surrendering my life to Jesus hallelujah if you're watching at home and you're here you feel like God is talking to you and you want to surrender your life to you. Right there at home, put your hands up. If you're watching by television, put your hands up. If you're watching online, put your hands up. And if you're here again, if you don't know where you stand with Jesus, but today you want to surrender your life to him, just hold your hand up to him. Hallelujah. Let's pray together for the benefit of those that may be surrendering to Jesus right there through that camera. Would you all say this out loud with me? Heavenly Father, today I give you my life. I repent of my sin. I ask you to forgive me. And I put my faith in Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I will never be the same in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you all. We love you. We will see you again next week.